All right, if you have a Bible this morning, please turn to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under a seat if you're up, up closer this morning. We're continuing a teaching series called Foundations. A foundation is a necessary structure upon which something is built. And I said that who Jesus is and what Jesus taught forms the foundation of the church. And that Jesus has given us foundational truths that build the church. Uh, the first truth that I, that I shared with you was that lost people matter to God and they should matter to us as well. The second truth we talked about is every Christian is in the game. Every Christian's in the game. God doesn't want you sitting in the stands. If you're a Christian, he doesn't want you standing on the sidelines. He wants you engaged in his work. He calls you priests and he says that you have a place of service in the kingdom. Uh, the third thing we talked about, the fact, was that the church was created to grow, both spiritually and numerically. The church was created to grow, to expand, to extend in the earth. Today we're going to talk about the fact that prayer opens the door for God's power. <clears throat> Excuse me. Prayer opens the door for God's power. In other words, <clears throat> prayer is foundational to building the church. Let's pray this morning. <clears throat> God, thank you this morning for the power of your word. And Lord, as I, as I pray this morning, I just, just open the door for your power. Your, your power to touch lives, your power to save, your power to heal, your power to deliver, your power to encourage, your power to give wisdom, your power to give strength, your power to give peace, your power to give hope. Lord, this morning in prayer, we, we just open the door for your power to flood this place and that you would guide us and instruct us and teach us this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I know Christians who seem to live by more than human power. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So they're, they're joyful even when life is hard. They're gracious even when they're mistreated or people offend them. Uh, they, they, they boldly talk to people around them about Jesus Christ. They're constantly talking about the miraculous things that God is doing in their life. It's like you can, you can see God's power working in them. You know anybody like that? You just, you just see the power of God working in their life. And when I, when I come across Christians like that, I, I, I wonder... Why isn't my life more like that? Why, why, why don't I sense the power of God flowing in my life like I see it in some other people's lives? Maybe you've asked that same question. Like you see that person and it's like, God, they just, they just seem to have God's power and his work all, all in their life. And why, why doesn't mine? Well, Jesus taught his disciples that prayer opens the door for God's power. The disciples saw that in Jesus. They, they saw the power of God at work in Jesus' life, and they wanted it for themselves. So in Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray, because they made the connection between the prayer life of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And so when Jesus instructs them, he addresses that uh, in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. Would you, would you stand with me this morning just for a moment? And we're just going to pray the first couple of verses of the Lord's Prayer from Matthew 6. Let's pray this together. Our Father in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you. You can be seated. In that verse, Jesus says to pray this way. You want to know how to experience God in your life? Pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. The kingdom of God is his rulership. It's his, it's his authority. It's his power. So when you pray, God, your kingdom come in the earth as it is in heaven, you're asking for God's power to come. Jesus essentially says prayer opens the door for the power of God. Pray this way. Pray the kingdom of God would come. So, so when we pray according to Jesus' prayer, we are actually opening the door of our life for God's power to come in. What if that was true? What if it was true that the kingdom of God, the power of God, the authority of God, the rulership of God came into our lives through prayer? Would it change your life? Would you pray more? Would you pray more consistently? Would you walk through your day with the prayer door open or closed? I think too often we don't believe what Jesus said we should pray. And that is that we should pray that the kingdom of God, the power of God, the rulership of Christ would come into our lives. So I want to answer this question this morning. What were the results of prayer in Jesus' life? What were the results of prayer in Jesus' life? And the first is this. Prayer resulted... In the, power, in, in the power to heal. Prayer resulted in the life of Jesus in the power to heal. Luke wrote both the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. And in both of those books, consistently, he connects prayer with God's power, particularly to heal. He makes that connection. If you're in, in Luke chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse 16. <clears throat> If you've ever read the Gospels and you've wondered, why did Jesus heal someone or why did Jesus cast out a demon and then tell the person not to tell anyone? Like, why did he do that? Because early in Jesus' ministry, he didn't want to gather large crowds that would impede him from getting around to a lot of geographical areas to preach the Gospel because he came to preach the Gospel everywhere that he went. So verse, six, verse 15 uh, Verse 15 says, despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Okay, pause there. That's a, that's a statement of lifestyle. That's a statement of consistency. Jesus often despite a full itinerary of ministry, despite an incredibly busy life like all of we have, all of us have a very busy life, despite that, he often slipped away, usually before the sun came up. Because, you know, once the sun comes up and the day starts and the chaos breaks out, it's hard to have alone time with God. Moms, you know what I'm talking about, right? Once the kids wake up, uh, your prayer time can be cut a little bit short. So Jesus often got up early and he went out and he prayed. The very next verse says, this, this just is a continuum. One day, it's not that same day, but that lifestyle statement about prayer. One day, while Jesus was teaching, 
Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed like these men showed up from every village in all of Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. And it says, and the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Now, those verses go together. Jesus often slipped away to pray. Jesus often slipped away into the wilderness to be alone with the Father. And as he taught and as he ministered, the power of God to heal was strongly present in his life. Luke wants us to know that when you spend time in God's presence, you get filled with God's power. When you spend time in God's presence, you get filled with God's power. That's a principle. They they recognized it in the life of Jesus. Have you ever wondered why people in the Gospels wanted to touch the hem of Jesus' garment? Have you ever read that? There was a woman that touched the hem of Jesus' garment. What what was the edge or the hem of Jesus' garment? Let's look at a couple stories. After Jesus and the disciples had crossed the, the Sea of Galilee, they landed at Gennesaret. They brought the boat to shore and climbed out. The people recognized Jesus at once, and they ran throughout the whole area, carrying sick people on mats to wherever they heard Jesus was. Wherever he went, in villages, cities, or the countryside, they brought the sick out to the marketplaces. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched it or him were healed. Why? What's the significance of the fringe or the edge of Jesus' robe? Well, let's look at another story. Jesus and his disciples got up and went uh, with him, uh, Jairus, Just then, a woman who had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding came up behind Jesus. She touched the fringe of his robe, for she thought, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Why not if I could touch him? What's the significance of the edge of the robe? Well, the Old Testament encouraged every Jewish man to have a prayer garment. It was called a talit. And they came in various shapes and sizes. This is kind of a narrow one. Some of them were wider than this, and they had a hole in the middle, which you could put over your head, kind of like a poncho. All of the the talits, or prayer garments, they were rectangular in shape and had four corners. On On the edge of each corner, they sewed a tassel. The tassel was called the zitzit. So the tallit was the prayer shawl or garment, and a narrow one like this, you could could wrap around your shoulders, you could could pull it up over your head, you could cover yourself with it and create a private space to pray. So they always prayed with the tallit or the prayer garment. The tassels were the edge. So I think we have a picture here of the woman with the issue of blood wanting to touch the edge of Christ's garment, because they associated prayer with God's power. They they associated, in Jesus' life, his prayer life with the power of Christ to heal. And so she just said, if I can can just touch the garment which represents the prayer life of Jesus, which really represents the healing of Jesus, I can be made whole. So it wasn't a magical thing. It was a faith thing recognizing There was a correlation between prayer and healing. 
and they recognize Jesus' prayer life and his intimate relationship with God the Father and that prayer, that, that power to heal flowed through Christ. Now, I've looked through the Gospels. I've never found anyone wanting to touch the, the, the prayer garment of the Pharisees. Why not? Because the, the, their prayer was just for show. They just wanted to look spiritual in public. They didn't take time in private hours like Jesus did in relationship with the Father. You see, when you spend time in God's presence, you are filled with his power. So power to heal was present in the life of Jesus, and it was connected to his prayer life. I love this quote reminding us about the tallit. In the New Testament, Jesus is seen wearing a tallit during his prayers in the Garden of Gethsemane. The use of the tallit as a garment of prayer and faith has been a fixture in the Jewish faith for centuries and remains so to this day. Now, let me just pause there and say for a second, I, I, I'm teaching that, that the, the power of God to heal flows out of prayer and, 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 and we should pray for healing. And when I even say that, some of you flinch. When, when I even suggest or encourage prayer for healing, some of you flinch because you've done that and it didn't work. You, you prayed for somebody to be healed and they weren't healed. You prayed for a parent or a child to be healed and, and they died. And you were dis, you're disappointed with God. And so you've retracted and, and you've determined that God, that God doesn't heal. And yet as we, as we look at the life of Christ, what do we see? And remember, Jesus is the perfect representation of God. Every city, every village, every town that he went, he ministered healing. Healing is part of the ministry of Christ. It was part of the ministry of the apostles. And, and if you went to your parents as a child and asked for something and they didn't give it to you, you didn't stop asking forever. There was a reason why they didn't give you what, what you were asking for. And you weren't wise enough to understand why it was at that point that they weren't giving you that thing. But there's higher wisdom in God. And because you asked once and didn't get it doesn't mean you don't ask again. In fact, I would challenge all of you disciples of Christ that we need to be ministers of healing. When, it, when, when we're talking about healing, we're not just talking about physical healing. We're talking about mental healing. We've got a mental health disaster on our hands, people struggling with mental health. We're talking about emotional health. We're talking about spiritual health as well as physical health. God is a healer which was represented in Jesus. I believe prayer opens the door for God's power to heal. And we need to be opening that door in prayer more often, amen, for God to do supernatural things. The second thing was prayer resulted in, in Jesus' life in power over Satan, in power over Satan. After, after casting a demon out of a boy, Jesus talks about the power of prayer. Let's follow the story. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit in this young boy. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd as people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him to his feet and he stood up. Afterward, when Jesus was alone with the, in the house with the disciples, they asked him, now don't, don't go to the next slide, why couldn't we cast out that evil spirit? Because the father had brought the boy to the disciples before they brought him to Jesus. And the disciples couldn't cast the demon out. So they want to know, Jesus, what's the difference between you and us? 
And 99% of you are saying Jesus was God. That's the difference. Jesus was God and he could do anything. But that's not the answer. And that's not the answer that Jesus gave. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by what? By prayer. Not by being the son of God. Not by being God in the flesh. That's not how I did this. I did this through prayer and the power of God working through my life. See, in in Philippians chapter 2, it says that when, when Jesus became flesh and blood, when Jesus became a human, he became 100% human, and yet he maintained his God, his, his divinity, his deity. So he was 100% human and 100% God, but it says in Philippians chapter 2 that he laid aside his divine privilege. He laid it aside his divine power. He chose to live this life no different than you and I. He was going to be completely dependent on God the Father to direct him and guide him and to fill him with power. He didn't, he didn't put trump everything with his God card. When he got into a difficult situation, he didn't say, hey, I'm, I'm God, I'm going to do this. He only did what, what the Father instructed him to do, just like we have to do. So, so why, did, why did Jesus, the Son of God, even pray if he was God? Because he, he divested himself, he laid aside his divine power in order to live this life exactly like us. And he tells the disciples, if you want to have victory over Satan, you better pray. How, how's your prayer, boys? Right? How's your prayer life? Because if you don't want to get overtaken by the evil one in these kinds of encounters, if you don't want to feel powerless against him, this kind comes as a result of a lifestyle of prayer. You better be deep in God if you're going to deal with these types of things that you encounter in life. So, so, So Jesus says, it's not because I'm God's son, it's because of prayer. So when we talk about Satan's power today, right now, we, we don't regularly have people like this boy come who, you know, the, there's obvious signs of demon possession that are really extreme, right? I, I mean, you, a person doesn't have to, have to be throwing up green barf with their head spinning around in order to be influenced by demonic powers. In our culture, we don't see that that much. So how do we see demonic influence? How do we see Satan's power in our culture today? Well, Satan's power manifests in fear and insecurity in people's lives. Remember, Paul said, God didn't give us a spirit of fear. Well, who did if we're afraid? The enemy. Now, there's natural fear, I understand it. But, but, but people that live in fear and, and, and worry and anxiety, that, there's demonic roots to that. God didn't give that to you. God doesn't desire that for you. Addiction, compulsive behavior, being in bondage is a work of the enemy. Deception and lies about your identity and who you are in Christ. All of those deceptions come from the evil one. Depression and anxiety, unbelief, doubt about who God is or what God wants to do in your life. The enemy's always playing those things in our mind. Rebellion, rebellion against God and rebellion against authority. That's demonically inspired. Now, parents, if if you have a child that's rebellious, That's a spiritual issue. You need to be dealing with it in a spiritual manner. Samuel told King Saul that rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. There's demonic roots in a rebellious heart, whether it's rebellion against God or rebellion against authority. So parents, that's a prayer issue for you. If a son or a daughter is is in rebellion against you or rebellion in life, man, you've, you've got to pray that God would touch that heart and significantly change that heart. 
So, so is there anyone who needs to be free from Satan's influence in your life? Are, are you regularly opening God's door in prayer so that that power to, to overtake the works of darkness in somebody's life can break into their lives? The, the third uh, thing that prayer resulted in the life of Jesus is the power to do miracles. So uh, prayer resulted in the power to heal. It resulted in, in power over Satan, and it resulted in the power to do miracles. Now, Mark chapter 11, Jesus curses a fruitless fig tree in order to teach his disciples a lesson. We're going to look at that lesson now. Jesus and his disciples, when they were uh, going to be in Jerusalem, often stayed outside of Jerusalem in a little town called Bethany. So one morning they went from Bethany into Jerusalem when they were finished. While they were on their way in, Jesus sees a fig tree that wasn't in blossom. And he says to the fig tree, may, may no one ever eat from you again. Okay? They go to Jerusalem, then they go back to Bethany. On the way back to Jerusalem the next day, we read this. The next morning as they passed by the fig tree that Jesus had cursed, the disciples noticed it had withered from the roots up. Peter remembered what Jesus had said to the tree on the previous day and exclaimed, look, Rabbi, the fig tree you cursed has withered and died. Then Jesus said to his disciples, have faith in God. I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen. But you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. What is happening here? Mean old Jesus with this fig tree, right? I mean, why is, he, why is he cursing this fig tree that wasn't bearing any fruit? And scholars have a lot of different ideas about it. Some say it was a prophetic sign that Jesus was doing because Israel was going to reject him as the Messiah and be fruitless spiritually and that the judgment of God was going to come on them because of their rejection of the Messiah. That could be, I don't know. Here's what I do know. In this story, the, the cursing of the fig tree and its withering, Jesus manifests himself as God in the flesh. He is sovereign over everything. Jesus has the power to speak to a tree and it can die. Jesus was simply saying that, that, that this is who I am. I am. I am God in the flesh in control of every single thing, every tree, every bush, every person, every country. I, I'm in charge of everything. And then he twists it and turns it to give them a lesson in prayer. And he says, therefore, if you recognize who I am, have faith in God. If you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, don't doubt in your heart, but believe that what you say will come to pass, that those things can happen. Why? Because of the effectiveness of your prayer? No, because of the power of Christ, amen? Because of who Jesus is. Because Jesus is sovereign. And when you approach God in prayer, believing that, that he is able to do anything, then you will believe that he can move the mountains in your life. Amen? What mountain are you facing today? What obstacle, what barrier is keeping you from God's purpose in your life? What, 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 what is ha happening in your family today? What mountain needs to be moved? Jesus revealed himself as the sovereign God of the universe so that when we come to him in prayer and believe in him, we're not going to doubt that he can do anything. Nothing's impossible with God. When you pray, believe that I have power over everything, Jesus says, and ask me to move the mountains in your life. 
prayer opens the door for God's power to do miracles. Jesus is inviting us to pray for those things. Jesus is inviting us to expect that God can move things in our life that nothing else can move, that that God can change things that no one else can change. And some of you today desperately need a mountain to be moved in your life. And this is your text where Jesus said, believe in me, believe in what I can do. All things are possible to him who believes. Have faith in God that if you pray for this mountain to be moved from here to there, it can be done by the power of God. Greg Gaines says this about prayer. He says, prayer is a powerful spiritual practice that holds immense potential to transform lives and establish a profound connection with the divine. It unlocks a wellspring of strength, resilience, and courage within believers, enabling them to go beyond rationality and trust in a divine plan. Through prayer, the ordinary becomes extraordinary, infused with purpose, meaning, and divine guidance. As we bring this to a close this morning, let me ask you again. Do people see the power of God working in your life? Are you one of those people that, 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 that people go, wow, God, God just always seems to be working. They're always talking about supernatural, miraculous things that God's doing. They're, they have a boldness. They have an ability to be joyful in the midst of pain. They, they have an ability to overlook offenses and being mistreated and be gracious. How do, they, how do they get that power? Jesus comes along and he says, prayer opens the door for that power. Friends, what if that was true? What if the your kingdom come, your will be done in the earth as it is, is in heaven was really true? What if prayer really was opening the door for God's power in our lives? See, God has given you a relational world. He's given you an oikos. He's he's put people in your life to share the gospel with, the good news about Jesus. Some of them have mountains that need to be moved in their life. Some of them have healing needs. Some of them are influenced by Satan. Are Are you praying? Are you opening the door of God's power daily for their well-being? Are you praying that their hearts would be changed, that that hardness of heart against God, the the hurt against God and disappointment in God that's keeping them from surrendering to him, are you praying that wall would come down, that mountain would be moved from here to there and they'd find Christ? At some point, we have to believe this, that prayer actually opens the door for the power of God to heal, deliver, save, and move mountains in people's lives. What if you went through your day and the door was open a little more this week. See, I believe that that not praying is like closing the door. I want that locked into your mind this week. As you go through your day, I want you to picture the door and I want you to ask yourself, is the door open right now or have I shut it? Do I believe that God's kingdom can come, his power can come through my prayer? I'm not talking 30 minutes in prayer. I'm talking maybe 30 seconds, oh God as you encounter people in your life that just need help, you pause in the moment. Maybe you can pray with them, maybe you can't, but you say, Lord, bring your power, deliver them, set them free. Oh God, we desperately need your work. 
Look around, friends. The world isn't a pleasant place right now. The world is filled with darkness. The world is filled with the influence of the evil one. It's about time Christians stood up and say, no more. We're going to pray the kingdom of God comes into the earth as it is in heaven, that the lives of people in our relational world are going to be changed because we believe what Jesus said. Mountain be moved. Satan be gone. Heart be changed. What if you went through your day with an open door of prayer continually? What difference could that make in people's lives? Maybe the door that you need to open this morning is the door of God's power that can forgive your sin and give you a new life. Maybe you've never encountered Christ. Maybe you need to take that first step. We say it's as easy as A, B, C. A, admit that you've, you've sinned against God. You've broken his law. You're, you're alienated from him legally because of your sin. Nothing you can do about it. B, believe that Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, sinless, died a criminal's death for you, took your sin upon himself so that if you believe in Jesus only, your sin can be forgiven. And C, commit to making him the leader of your life. Confess him as your Lord. It's as easy as that, friends. We, if that's you this morning, let's, let's just bow our heads. And if you need to open that door of prayer that God can give you a new life because you're sick and tired of the life that you're living, just say this morning in your heart to the Lord, Lord, I, I confess I'm a sinner. I know I've broken your law. I feel bad every time I do. And I believe, Jesus, that, that only you can forgive my sin. You went to the cross. No one else went to the cross to forgive sin except you. And, and Lord, I want to make you the leader of my life. I want to I let you lead me, Lord. Save me, God. Fill me with power that will change me eternally, right now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Maybe you prayed that for the first time. If you meant that this morning, you, you are saved by the power of Christ. One last thing as we close. As, as we move toward the potential of expanding our campus and, and, and expanding our facility, we need to open the door of prayer. We, we need to open the door for God's power to guide us and lead us and empower us and help us through this process. And Andrea McCartney, the young lady that, that shared the communion meditation this morning, she's on our steering committee and she's really in charge of prayer. And, and every week she writes out an incredible prayer update a prayer guide for us to follow together as we pray. That's the QR code. The QR code is also in your bulletin right under my notes. I, I want to ask you this week to, to scan that code, go on our website, click on the prayer page, and, and pray with us that, that, that God's power would guide this whole process, wherever that leads us, that God's power would be present in the process. Would you stand with me this morning? Jesus, this morning... I thank you for this amazing church. I pray, Lord, this week as we go into our world, that we, would, that we would be cognizant of the need around us, that we'd be hopeful, that we'd be mindful of the door, the door of heaven, that you've given us the power in Christ to open through prayer. We pray, Lord, that we would walk with an open door. Lord, that we would keep it open and that we would see your power work in our lives and in those around us this week, in Christ's name, amen.